Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier. So today's show is a very interesting show. We are going to discuss the northern mallards, or what some people have referred to as like the red-legged mallard. And I've got Dr. Mike Brazier here, and uh, he's going to bring some of the more scientific aspects of this, where I kind of bring the layman's uh, version of, man, there are people online, there are people everywhere convinced, there's duck hunters convinced that these are different birds, that this is a different species of bird, a larger duck, um, you know, with these big, bright orange legs. All right, lay it down for us, Mike. What's the deal? The answer to this question is actually pretty straightforward, but we're not going to get into that right now. I'm gonna, we're going to delay here a little bit. We're going we're gonna to build a story. We're going to have a little bit of mystery, a little bit of intrigue, oh, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever. Chris first brought this idea to us. Uh, I think you've tried to get me to, to do this episode twice now. And I both have. times I said, you know, no, let's wait. And I need to bring something else to the story. There needs to be something else, uh, something else to it. And, and I found it the other day, uh, walking through the, through the halls of, of headquarters <laughs> here. And it's, it's one of the interesting, uh, interesting things about being here as someone who loves waterfowl conservation, waterfowl science. There's so much history. There's so much... Uh, history from the from the perspective of the, of the organization, as well as just from the science behind waterfowl management, all over the halls in our library. And I was walking down the hall the other day, and I noticed this uh, an old print. Uh, I think it was from 1934 or 1937. It's a print where it has all the species of ducks on one uh, of dabbling it actually called them surface feeding ducks at that time those are all the dabblers and puddlers and they had another one where it showed all the species of sea ducks and mergansers diving ducks sea ducks mergansers and uh, it was from and i as i was walking past it i glanced at at some of the names that it had for the um for the ducks and i saw red-legged black duck and i saw right beneath it was the common black duck and so I stopped and said, wait a minute, what is that? So I looked into that a little bit, and we could, I could talk for about five minutes alone on, on the unique elements of that print. Uh, I believe it was 2,000 of them were produced. The, the copies that we have here at headquarters are numbers 576 out of a series of 2,000. And it has some of the old taxonomic names for those duck species. This go back, goes back to an earlier podcast where we talked about blue-winged ducks uh, now have the the genus spatula, or spatula, mm-hmm. that was the genus that was used for some of those names, uh, for some of those birds back when that print was produced. Uh, so it, there's a whole number of connections there on that print related to taxonomic names of ducks, which is pretty cool. But I saw that red-legged black duck, and I said, I need to look into that and see what, what that's about. And it was, it's about this phenomenon of red-legged Ducks, red-legged uh, mallards, red-legged black ducks. So, so now we're bringing it full circle. Now we're bringing it full circle. Really what's going on, uh, It these are not the, the appearance of bright red legs later in the season is not an indication of, of a different suite of birds, a different collection of birds. Really what's driving the red legs is the same thing that's driving the appearance of the, of the bright 
bill on a mallard. Mm-hmm. And those are hormonal changes, which, which carry out through time as those birds begin to prepare for the pairing season. The males want to be showy. They have a fair degree of ornamentation, whether it be on their, their plumage. Uh, but then they also, and remember, the plumage is put on in the breeding, at the end of the breeding season. Mm-hmm. Once they put on feathers, the colors on those feathers don't change. But they can change the colors uh, of, of the fleshy ornamentation, the bill, the legs, through time. They can go from dull to bright, and that's actually what's happening. They're not different groups of birds. They're just, it's just a, um, an artifact of the hormones changing, primarily testosterone that's driving, driving these changes uh, as those birds begin to prepare for the, for the pairing season. Um, so... Not different birds or not different groups of birds. They're not necessarily representing a northern group of mallards that are coming down. It's just, it may just be that what you're seeing is an artifact of time. Later in the season, yeah, maybe you are getting some birds that these were birds, farther north. But, you know. Yeah, but so, these mallards are doing this at different times. Not every mallard in Minnesota is putting on this, you know, hormonal shift in, in these bright red legs at the same time. So I think that's where hunters can get confused is, you know, you you shoot two or three mallards and you're putting them side by side and you've got one that's got these bright red legs. And that's where, I, you know, I see it on social media a lot. Yep. I see, you know, uh, emails coming into the website, things like that, that, that I see a lot of questions about these. Or I see people comment on things like, oh, the northern mallards are yeah, here, the red yeah. legs are here. Yeah. Um, I think that's where people get a little bit confused. Um, and it could be uh, it could be an age effect as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely the adults are going to be farther along in their molt and their, their development of their feathers than are the, the young birds. And so they're going to they're be farther along in that uh, in their hor- those hormonal changes as well. As well. However, they're there can be other environmental factors that impair a bird's ability to develop those bright red legs. So if you see a bird that has uh, has dull dull legs, that's not all showy on the on the bill or on the legs, there could be something else going on with it. There was some research out of Spain, I believe it was, which was which correlated blood lead levels with uh, with coloration on the bill and feet. And those individuals that had higher blood lead blood lead levels uh, had duller uh, coloration on their feet and bills. You know, those are the things that can change is that fleshy ornamentation. So it could be other things going on with an individual bird if it does not have those, those red legs. Um, but, uh, but to get to this element of mystery and intrigue, if you will. I think this is something that our listeners will probably be interested in. I found it, of course, I'm a scientist. This is, this kind of stuff is, I don't I kind of get geeky on and it's, it's just of interest to me. But I, so I, after seeing that print, I dug into this issue of the red leg black duck a little bit more. And the story dates back to the early 1900s. And this actually might make some people feel more comfortable about having believed in this myth of the northern mallard for so long. Because if you go back far enough in the literature, you'll actually find some ornithologists that believed it as well. Yeah. Believed it to the point that they recommended it as a separate species or at least a subspecies of what at that time and was recognized in the northeastern U.S. as the common black duck or mm-hmm. typical black duck. Also, so I'll, I'll note that Mike gave me notes for this. Yes, not yet, that Chris so. did not know this. <laughs> can't be shown up by Chris on this. Be- 
Be the first to know when ducks are on the move. Sign up for DU's waterfowl migration email alerts and receive ongoing in-depth updates on the latest habitat conditions, weather changes, and hunting reports for your flyway. Visit ducks.org migration alerts. So the original the original name for the black duck was the Anis Obscura. And then Brewster comes along. He's this ornithologist that was believing in the red-legged black duck. And he actually proposed it as a subspecies, Anis Obscura rubripes. And that's where the reddish leg comes into play. Folks that are familiar with waterfowl taxonomy will know that rubripes is the current scientific name, uh, specific epithet for black ducks, which rubripes is Latin. It means ruddy-legged or reddish. Uh, ruddy is reddish. Well, then what they realized around 1905 is that Anis obscura was also already in use for some other duck species in Europe. So they had to change it. Well, they adopted Anis rubripes for the for the overall for the common or, or for the for the black duck, um, and so this guy that had proposed the red legged black duck uh, kind of found it amusing that the taxonomic community had used his name, the one that he had proposed for the red legged black duck, to to be used as the name for just the the black duck in general for those that still weren't believing in his claim of there are uh, there is this separate red-legged black duck and so this debate went on for quite some time um, he actually in response to this uh, to this thing the failure to continue to rec- recognize the red-legged black duck he proposed a new scientific name for the for the red-legged black duck anis obscura tristis if i said that right and tristis tristis um which means sad <laughs> as a reflection of his disappointment and how the, the uh, ornithological community was treating his, uh, his suggestion. And so this, this debate went on for some time. Uh, eventually what they discovered through some new research uh, or so, some new observations of the molt of waterfowl is that really what they were seeing is nothing more than seasonal changes in, uh, in the coloration pattern on the, uh, on the legs of these birds. Uh, so, so the story goes that uh, eventually around 1943, uh, was it 1946, sometimes in the 40s, things were finally put to bed with this. And, but, for, but this persisted for four, about four decades where people were debating whether there was in fact a separate subspecies that would have consisted of this red-legged black duck. I feel like the general population, hunting population out there is still not necessarily arguing the specific of the red-legged black duck, but they're still convinced that there's a separate red-legged mallard. And now, with this podcast, we've basically provided the myth buster mentality. Uh, there is no such thing as the northern red-legged mallard. That's right. That's right. So. And even in instances that I just I described to Mike earlier that I had a friend um, growing up on the Wabash River in Indiana, a friend of mine was hunting one day and he came home and he had shot a mallard that was three times the size of the rest of the mallards. And we laid them side by side and I still have the pictures somewhere. Um, what did he shoot, Mike? He probably shot a farm mallard. Hmm. Farm mallard. I'll have to tell him that 25 years later. Mallard, I'll, I'll yeah, uh, ruin his, his hopes and dreams of yeah. his, his northern mallard. I wonder how it tasted, though. 
probably yeah, pretty good. Ask you about that. All right, Mike. I think we've narrowed it down. We've eliminated the red-legged mallard, along with uh, Mike brought up an, an awesome historical note um, on taxonomy and how you know how how birds are, are labeled and and it, through science even there can be some some miscommunication and a little bit of misdirection there. But it sounds like got it straightened out. So appreciate you bringing up the red-legged black duck story. That's awesome. Um, and once again, I apologize to everyone out there who's convinced that they're seeing the northern mallard or northern red-legged mallard uh, because uh, Dr. Mike Brazier has just shattered your dreams. But Thanks, you Mike. But you don't have to feel too bad because even the best ornithologies of their time were also fooled. So you True. can take some consolation True. in that. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. You're welcome, Chris. All right, I'd like to thank Dr. Mike Brazier, my co-host here, and our awesome producer, Clay Baird, because without him, we would not be doing any of this and bringing this great information to all of you listeners. And most of all, I'd just like to thank all of you for listening and supporting Wetlands Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.